Good morning. Good morning, Rabbi Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated for uh, the continued health of our Rabbani, Chalafar Chalab Atzimafega, Refuash Shalemaf Rabbi Eli Abadi, Eliyahu Shemom Fotune. The Breakfast in the Class is dedicated in loving memory of Musa Nurani, Leilu Nishmat Moshe Ben Parviz, Yaakov, and Miriam. Alava Shalom, sponsored by the Nurani family. Azakub Baruch. Also, the week of Cobra was sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to good today and every day. My friends, let's begin. If one was to open up the uh, tour, if one was to open up the Rosh, you'd find a very interesting idea that the Arba Aminim, the four species, represent a very specific uh, sim- symbolic gesture and that is that when a person goes into Rosh Hashanah and Kippur you have all the judgments are on the table and the person you know they exit they leave that judgment you don't know if the guy was victorious in his judgment or not you don't know how it went but if you see the victors coming back from a war and they're holding their swords up in the air if they're holding their swords up in the air that illustrates that they have won the battle so too are the Jewish people emerging from Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur holding on to the lulavim aloft in the air those lulavim lifted in the air are like the swords held aloft and therefore they indicate that the Jewish people have been victorious, emerged victorious from their court case in Shammai. That is what our Chazal, what our Rabbis teach us. And I just wanted to focus for one second on this Mashal. And let me explain what I mean. You know, the, the master of Mishalim, right, was whom? Who was the master of Mishalim? better the Dubna Magid of all the people the master of Mishalim was a Dubna Magid why? because his Mishalim were always exactly 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 the point of the Nimshal so sometimes someone tells a story you're not quite sure you know you see that there's a lesson to be learned but you can't quite you don't quite understand how these two things are related. The Dubna Magid never had that. So once, actually famously, a person once came to him and said, I don't understand. Your examples, your Mishalim, are so perfectly tailored. How is it that your stories are always such a perfect fit for your lessons? So the Dubna Magid, true to form, said, I'll give you a Mashal. I'll give you, an exa- I'll give you a parable. He says, a guy's walking in the forest. And he sees on every tree in the forest is a bullseye. And right smack in the middle of the bullseye. I think there's a term, I'm not sure, I'm not like a darts guy. But what's the term when you get it right in the middle of the bullseye? Anyone know? Bullseye, no, but the, the whole thing is a bullseye. So if you get it in the bullseye, but a little bit to the right of perfect center, it's still bullseye. I think there's a name, maybe true bullseye, I don't know, someone's going to tell us. One of the listeners will reach out and tell me what the term is. But he sees that every single tree, 
has a bullseye, and on every tree, the arrow is exactly in the middle. And he's thinking to himself, what kind of Olympic marksman do we have here? What kind of Robin Hood is wandering Sherwood Forest, okay? Outside of Nottingham. That's the question. He's thinking to himself, how could such a thing be? Finally, he sees the guy walking with his quiver. Just says the gold. Sorry? Just says the gold. The gold. All right. I'm sure there's something better than that for the, for the mumchim. The guy's walking with his arrow, with his arrows, with his quiver. Um, and he sees him and he says, I don't understand. How are you not world famous? You haven't missed one of these targets. Everyone's been an exact bullseye. So the guy says, you want me to show you? He says, sure. He picks up a can of paint. He walks over, not to the tree, but to a distance from the tree, shoots an arrow into the tree, and then walks and paints a bullseye around the arrow that he shot. Said the Dubna Magid, when I give a mashal, I don't find the story in the New York Times. I don't find the story on the news in the pop culture and then think to myself, what Jewish lesson is this related to? I think to myself, what am I trying to teach? And then I devise, I make up a story. I never told anyone that any of them were true. They were parables. I make up a story which fits exactly because what do I do first? First, I think what the lesson I'm trying to teach is. My friends, if it's true about the Dubna Magid, it is most certainly true about his holy predecessors, about the great Chachamim. And if we're giving an example here of the Lulav being the upraised sword of victory, then there must be an exact nature to that, mashal. And it bothers me. And I want to share with you why. When a person emerges from that, from that courtroom in the heavenly court, who did they beat? What does victory look like? What is this upraised sword? And why is it important that I say or show that I was victorious? You know, in the example, someone comes out from a court case, you don't know who won the court case. If you're trying to figure out who won as an outsider, so then I understand that you need a sign or a symbol to be able to have. Did somebody steal the parochet? Could you go to another building, Dachilak? Okay. What is the, the premium? placed on everyone else figuring out from my lulav and etrog that I was victorious. Does everyone hear the question? What is the mashal to victory? And the question number two is who is this victory over and why are we trying to broadcast it? My friends, I want to share with you something that I learned a while ago from a, a person going through a very difficult time. And this person they, they were so deep in the hole, things were so difficult for them, that there was never a time in the process of their addiction 
of their issue where they were able to say, I walked away, I'm good, I'm clean, I'm sober. But one of the things that they learned was along the way that it was incredibly important to celebrate small victories. And let me explain what that means. I can't say I'm done with alcohol. I'm done with my eating disorder. I'm done gambling. I'm done with my anger management. I'm done. I'm done greed, risk taking. I'm done. I can't say that. You know what? It's still a part of me. But my friends, if I can't see any forward movement, then you know what, the, you know what happens? I fall backwards because I give up hope. And if a person does not have hope, then they have nothing. If a person does not feel like they're moving, however small, however minutely forward, then the person is liable to completely give up. So therefore, what did this guy do? If he was able to go two hours without drinking, he, he made that into a celebration. This time I went, two hours. They tell the story of this guy who for uh, a long time was trying to quit. And he tells his children, you know what, I've decided today's the day. Anyway, he calls him at 10 a.m., he says, I'm good. He calls him at 11 a.m., I'm good. 12, I'm good. One, two, three, four, I'm good. Five, I'm good. He walks back in the door at 6.30, off his trolley. Guy can't walk, can't see, he can't talk. They said, what happened? He says, I went the whole day without having a drink. I couldn't believe it. I was so proud of myself. So I went to the bar to celebrate. <laughs> My friends, we're liable to look at this guy in the joke and think he's a joke. But I want to point something out. This man is not a joke. And you know who the joke is? The joke is the people who are supposed to love him and supposed to support him who were calling his efforts a joke. That's the joke. Because this addict went from a guy who was drinking for no reason. You know why he was drinking? Because it was Monday. Because it was Tuesday. Because it was 10 or 11 or 12 or 1 or 2 or 3 because of nothing. He didn't need a reason to drink. And now he had a drink because he was celebrating. Because he celebrate. I'm not saying that that is a good way to get teetotal. I'm not saying that this is how a person breaks a cycle of addiction. I'm saying when it comes to supporting someone or it comes to supporting yourself, to recognize that the person went a whole day without doing something that was negative or that was damaging, if you can't and if he can't celebrate that, he's not getting anywhere. Because no one goes from zero to hero in one shot. No one. My friends, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. One of the biggest mistakes that we make repeatedly. We make this mistake again and again and again. And even as we learn that that's not the right way to look at it, we are healed from this incorrect perspective for a very short amount of time. And I'm happy to celebrate that we had at least a short amount of time where we did not look at it incorrectly. But then we go back. Because we see Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur as a time of judgment 
We see it as a time which is about getting a decree. But we forget so often that the reason why God did that was for a very specific purpose. Our rabbis tell us Our rabbis tell us that one of the great kindnesses of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Yom Kippur. And they explain that it doesn't feel like a kindness. Right? It doesn't feel like a kindness. It reminds you of that old Jewish joke. You know? The chosen people, the chosen people. Could you choose someone else for a while? Right? You feel lucky. You feel happy on Yom Kippur. This is the example the Gemara brings. Imagine a person who has a debt. And if they don't pay off that debt, slowly but surely, any debt advisor will tell you the most dangerous thing for a person who's worried about falling under debt is to have a credit card and to push that credit card to next month and to say it's okay to carry a balance. And one of the first things they do with people who cannot get out from under that debt is they cut up their credit cards. Because if you let that build and build and build, there's no way out of it. But if at least you're making payments, if at least you're lo lo lowering the weight of that load as time goes on, at least then, my friends, there's a possibility of getting out from underneath it. So God in His great kindness, or everyone else in the world, you have a debt, it piles up, piles up, piles up until it's unpayable. But because God gave the Jewish people this gift of Yom Kippur. What was the point of Yom Kippur then? Not to escape punishment, but to be able to constantly have something that minimizes our debt, that allows us to be in the red, that allows us to be, excuse me, in the black, that allows us to be uh, cash positive, that allows us to be in a positive state of mind, of existence. If that's what Yom Kippur is, if that's the fight Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and every single person here did this, and you promised you were going to be better, and Yom Kippur ended, and you know yourself, and your wife knows you, and your kids know you, and they don't believe that the person you said you were going to be on Yom Kippur is the person you're going to be. If that's who you are, my friends, if you don't believe that that change was permanent, then that change is not going to be permanent. So one of the first things that we do, my friends, is we lift up the lulav, and we lift up the etrog, and we declare victory. Not in some sort of way where it's a pyrrhic victory, where we're happy that we did something. At least we have this. That family who has a, dr a, a drunk father and husband who could not go 20 minutes without having a drink, who now went the whole day, if they don't make him feel amazing about it, then the guy just feels like he never can and he therefore he never will. My friends, one of the greatest tools in the arsenal of the Yetzirahara is atzvut, is sadness is a certain sort of bitterness that this is who I am 
and that I have nothing to do about this and there's nothing I can do and I have no agency. And you know what, I'm a good guy over there, but when it comes to this, it's just, this is my test. What can I say? Judaism does not believe in that defeatist attitude. So what do we do? We lift up the Lulav and Etrog. And in the Lulav and Etrog, in that package, you have the Etrog, which is completely clean and completely good. And that represents on a personal level, for me and for you, it represents the part of ourselves that's very good. And God saw, and behold, Tov Me'od. Rabbi, I'm amazing at chesed. I'm just terrible at getting out of bed in the morning for shacharit. Rabbi, you know my house, so kosher. If the Vilna Gaon came back to life, he would eat off my dishes. You don't know. I use only the best kashrut. If I didn't see a rabbi with a beard three feet long milking the cow myself, I don't drink the milk. Chalav Yisrael is for losers. I have chalav tamid chacham. That's what I use. And if the cow did not go to the mikvah, you understand? A guy like that, kosher for them is unbelievable. That's your etrog. Then there's the mitzvot that are your, your hadassim, your lulav, a bit wonky, a bit like this, a bit like that. You know? The mitzvot that I do, sometimes, sometimes not. The mitzvot that I do, the action, great, but not the kavanah. The kavanah, great, but not the action. Then there's the mitzvot and the averot that I'm terrible at. Ma'arava. But my friends, when you lift the lulav, if you lifted just the lulav, or you lifted just the etrog, did you fulfill your obligation? You didn't. And I always love to say this. Perhaps that's why the Torah was obligating us to tie the lulav, the adasim, the aravot together, to lift it together with the etrog. It's not enough for me to lift my etrog in the air and say, look, I have this victory. It's not enough for me to lift my lulav or my adasim in the air. You know what lets me pull, pull, pull my arava up high in the air? The fact that it's connected to my lulav and to my adasim and to my etrog. You know, my kindness is amazing, my shachrit's terrible. I'm great at that. I don't put on tefillin. I do everything. Rabbi, tzitzit, I can't. It's so itchy. I'm sweating. Same guy who tells me that he's sweating from the, what's it called? He's wearing those, you know, the jappy, no, no this, sorry, not the jap, the yuppie sweater, you know that thick one? They look like it used the whole sheep. You know those? With the big fat collar and the brown leather buttons. Like he thinks he's a the professor on tenure. Leather patches. <laughs> if you can wear that sweater, you can't wear the seat. So I'm weak. I'm weak in that area. I'm weak, Rabbi. With a, rabbi, I'm completely kosher. Wines are very difficult for me. I can't handle wine. Everybody's got something, right? 
Now, it is the way of the world to say, aw, bless. Everybody's got something. So stay rotten in that thing because everyone's got something. What a ridiculous concept. Everybody's got something, so I appreciate you. Everybody's got something, so I understand you because I also have something. But to say that I could give up on my something, where does that even begin to make sense? That is what it means to celebrate victories. So my friends, I ask you a question. Why is it important to celebrate this victory? Why is it important to show the victory? Because my friends, if it's not celebrated in a visible way for myself, then I'll fall back and my Yom Kippur will be, my Rosh Hashanah will be, But there's something interesting. Something that I learned when it comes to the law of addiction. One of the laws of addiction and of getting free from it is to share your problem with others. Why do you think everyone is getting up and saying, I'm Shlomo Fari and I'm an alcoholic. I'm Shlomo Fari, I'm addicted to Torah classes. Why do you have to say that out loud? And studies show that when a person admits out loud that they have a problem, someone else hears. When someone decides and says and makes a commitment out loud and someone else hears, I believe the number is, the study showed, 40% more likely, we have to check exactly, 40% more likely to fulfill your declaration, if you say it out loud. My friends, if you declare victory out loud and you show everyone your lulav, what are you going to be embarrassed to do? To slip back to your old ways. You're going to be embarrassed to not try and get in the fight. So you have a bad relationship with your wife. So your kids don't like you very much. And unfortunately, sometimes it's not a them thing. Sometimes it's a you thing. Don't look at someone else with their kids having a moment and think to yourself, I'm useless. Wow, look at how close he is with his daughter. I can't believe it. Look at this guy and his wife. That's a marriage. What do I even have? I'm a loser. I'm a waste of space in business, in the community. Look at that guy. Look at that woman. Look at how many mitzvot they're doing. How many chapters of Tehillim they're saying. Me barely bizarre. I'm cracking my teeth reading one chapter. This one took a whole book. My friends, that's not you talking. That's the Yetzirah using his strongest weapon. convinces you that you're an imposter. He convinces you that you're a loser. Convinces you that you don't have the moxie, the, the, uh, the wedge ara, you don't have the, excuse me, the temperament to be able to get through this. Just wedge aras for me. I can't handle, I can't handle. Rabbi, I can't, I can't deal. This is my thing. This is what gets me going. Yes, it is. Until you change it. 
until you change it. Until you change it. If I gave you a million dollars not to embarrass your child, would you be able to do it? If I gave you a million dollars to come to Shacharit, if I gave you a million dollars not to have that wine, but to have that wine, could you do it? You could. So stop. Stop with the I can't. And let's at least be honest and say, instead of I can't, I won't. Remember this brilliant line. Someone once told one of my, one of my uh, uh, best friends growing up. Very funny guy. But the guy was honest to a fault. Anyway, he sees me building my bed. He's lying, relaxing in his bed. Hilarious guy. He goes, Shlomo, I would love to help you. I just really don't want to. I'd love to keep kosher. Wow, you go to prayers every day? I would love to do that. Except I really don't want to. Changing what you want is not so hard. Changing what you can't is nearly impossible. So walking out of Kippur, holding up the sword of victory, lifting up not only your etrog, but even your arava, that is immense. So you're not the best husband, not the best father, not the best shacharit prayer, not the best kosher keeper, not the best at Shabbat. Rabbi, you don't know. You don't know. I got to be online all the time. My fantasy football league. Who knows? What's going to happen? Who knows what's going to happen on Saturday, Rabbi? Right? Who knows? I can't. My favorite show, my favorite this. I get it. I understand. I'm not saying it's easy. I respect your challenge. But you know what I respect more than your challenge? You. I respect you more than your challenge. I'm only asking you to feel and to think the same way. Respect yourself more than your challenge. That's what the Lulav, the Arava, the Hadassim. And you know what you can lean on? I want you to do this in your mind. I want you to identify for one second what's your Arava. Everybody's got it? I always love the idea that the letters of Arava or Avera. I want you to think for one second what's yours. Now I want you to think of one thing that you just kill it. What's your etrog? What do you go? What do people look up to you for in your world? You're so complimentary. You're very nice to people. You always notice things. Right? Whatever that is. And I want you to ask yourself. Is what I'm etrogging at easy? No. All these other people, they're looking at me, they don't even know how I do it. You know what that means? That means that there's already something that a lot of people think is really hard that you're killing. So the etrog lifts up the arava. Because it tells you if I'm great at that, why not at this? 
Let it start here, but don't let it end there. Hashem should bless us, Be'ezat Hashem, to always be declaring victories. Not once a year, but every single day. You didn't get the tefillah in the morning? Okay, pray at home. You didn't pray at home? Pray in the office. You didn't put tefillin on in the morning? Pray in the afternoon. Tefillin could be, you could put tefillin on until sundown. And if you forgot at sundown, you could put it from sundown until the stars come out. You just don't make a berakah because that's a question on that time. But you can put tefillin on the whole day. And you know what? You put tefillin on the last possible minute. You're not going to feel good that you did a mitzvah, even if you didn't do it in the best possible way. You remembered to bring your wife a delicious salad. And you only brought her one dressing instead of two. You feel, do you feel like a complete failure? I did most of it. How your wife feels about it, different story. But how should you feel? If your wife yells at you, you brought me the salad with one dressing, what are you going to say back? I bought the salad. I bought one dressing. I'm sorry I forgot the extra dressing. Could we think of it like extra? That's how you'll feel. That's how you should feel. So my friends, we should celebrate a victory every day. Find inches of growth, millimeters of growth, centimeters of growth. They think that football is a game of inches. Judaism is a game of millimeters. Baruch Adonai Amen